ethics and podcasting, I'm going to talk to you about promotion, profit, promises, and pride. Welcome to the Audacity to Podcast, episode 208. Thank you for joining me for the Audacity to Podcast. I'm Daniel J. Lewis, and this is the award-winning how-to podcast about podcasting. It's where I give you the guts and teach you the tools to launch or improve your own podcast for sharing your passions and finding success. Ethics is a big thing in podcasting and really in all kinds of content creation, internet marketing. Some people might say that ethics are lacking in internet marketing, and in some cases, I would have to agree with that. But there are certain things that I think we need to consider with our ethics in podcasting. This episode is going to be a bit different from my past episodes that I normally do. And I will tell you up front why is I scrapped what I was going to do for this episode, changed it to this at the last minute because of a situation that came up and I got a little bit fired up about it. But I realized this is very timely. This is something that could be and should be addressed. So I'm going to be a little bit more free flow with this. But yes, as I can't seem to do anything without an outline, I do have a basic outline of this. And so I do want to talk about these four areas of podcasting ethics, promotion, profit, promises, and pride. Number one, promotion. How is it that you are promoting your podcast or your products, your services, whatever it is that you're promoting. Maybe it's something you're promoting within your podcast. How ethically are you promoting this? The big news that's in podcasting right now is this idea of Twitter bombing. And there have been plenty of people talking about this, writing about this, podcasting about this, experimenting with this. Twitter bombing is where you are promoting a single piece of content and over-promoting it on Twitter. This isn't where you're promoting it every six hours or every few hours, something like that. That's okay, and that is good, especially on Twitter because of the very short lifespan that a tweet has. It's okay to promote the same content multiple times in a day or multiple times in a week, but Twitter bombing is where a tweet goes out every few minutes about the exact same content. And often those tweets are including links directly to the media file for that podcast episode instead of to the iTunes page to subscribe to the podcast or the web page for the podcast or the show notes for that particular episode. What's happening then is for those people who are using this technique of Twitter bombing, either they've come up with the idea themselves or they've bought into the idea that someone else has sold them on, it's artificially inflating their numbers. What happens due to the nature of many stats on the internet is that if you click on that link, you see a tweet that, oh, that looks interesting. You click on it and it loads the media file directly in your browser and it starts playing and starts downloading that media file, playing it as it's streaming the download to your device. That will count as a download in your podcast stats, in Blueberry and Libsyn, and they are working to filter out some of these types of things, and there are ways that you can filter out yourself, and I'll mention more about that in a moment, but 
this is giving an artificial inflation to the numbers because a lot of people are clicking on those links and discovering what kind of content it actually is. And people will often decide, I don't want to actually listen to a full podcast right now. I just thought this was an article or an interesting video, or I didn't know what this was. They click on it, direct download link. They've downloaded the file or started downloading a portion of that file and discover it's something they don't want. They close it. They didn't become a listener. They might have downloaded it. So they are a downloader, even if they've only downloaded a portion, but they're not really a part of the audience and they may never be back. And you can't sell them on anything in that podcast. They might not have consumed any of the content. That means they might not have heard any of the sponsorship spots or other calls to action. And this is something a lot of people are trying to experiment with, especially certain podcasters who claim to be top podcasters in certain industries are playing with this idea of Twitter bombing, or they're using it and citing great success from it. I don't want to say that every Twitter bomber is someone who came up with this idea themselves and have decided to do this on their own. Some of them may have heard this recommended by someone else. And I can't say who, I don't know who might have recommended these other techniques, but it's very possible that some of these people who are doing it are doing so ignorantly, not realizing at all the damage they're doing to their own podcast, to the podcasting industry, and how much they're lying to themselves and accidentally, unintentionally lying to others about the success of their podcast if they don't realize what they're actually doing with Twitter bombing. There have been some great pieces of content coming out recently about Twitter bombing, and much of it focused around an article written by Brian Orr, and I've got a link to it in the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash ethics. He wrote this article that said, Twitter bombing worked, to stroke my ego, and he did this great experiment where he did Twitter bomb for a few weeks, about a month, for his podcast, and he discovered, yeah, indeed, it made all of his numbers skyrocket. Incredible results from this. But then he did get truthful because this was purely an experiment that he was doing with his show. And it certainly made him feel better, but he had to keep in mind the truth behind the numbers. And the basic truth is that when people are clicking, they're downloading, that shows up as a download. That doesn't mean your audience is actually increasing. So in Libsyn, what you can do to kind of filter through some of this is look at your user agents and see what's actually coming from a podcast app like iTunes or Apple Core Media or the podcast app or Stitcher sometimes or certain other things like that, Instacast, Downcast, Overcast, Upcast, Anywherecast, Herecast, Therecast, Everywherecast, Cast, all of those players check to see what your numbers are for those because most likely a number that comes through an app like that or a user agent as Libsyn calls them in their stats, most likely that is genuinely a listener, a real human who wanted to listen to that content or watch that content if you have a video podcast. It's less likely that they've just clicked on something and accidentally started downloading the first couple minutes before stopping. On the Blueberry side of things, if you look at your Blueberry stats, you can look at the platforms and apps that are being used inside of your stats. 
both with your free and your premium stats. And you can see the breakdown of apps by name over there on the Blueberry side. So you can see podcasts and iTunes and Stitcher and Overcast and all of those different apps over there. So you can get an idea then how much your podcast is being downloaded by podcasting apps as well as by browsers. That browser number though is a little bit suspect. The more and more that bots are starting to index downloadable content and bots are starting to sometimes auto load content and some players that you might use on your website might auto download the media even before someone presses play on certain browsers with certain players that come from certain plugins and such. MediaElement.js that's included with Blueberry PowerPress is not guilty of doing this. But some of the older Flash-based players and certain other embeddable players sometimes do this. So that could mean someone visits your webpage and it shows up as a podcast download. That might not necessarily be true. So we really need to start thinking about completed downloads or downloads from a podcast app. Those are legitimate downloads, legitimate listeners, most likely. And then you can really tell how many people listen based on your calls to action and how many people take action on that. Like when I did my long episode recently with Brian from ProfitCast, I asked at the very end for you to tweet us if you made it all the way through the episode. And it was really cool to, over time, start seeing people tweet us to say, yeah, I made it through the episode. Thank you very much. Great content. And people commenting on the site and such. So I know those people actually listened. And as I get to know my audience... I recognize names and faces and people and podcasts, and I know so-and-so listens. They've told me they listen to every episode. When I see them in the live show or when I see them commenting on my website or tweeting me or something like that, I generally can trust they've listened to the episode. Sometimes I know you might skip an episode because the topic just isn't interesting to you. That's perfectly all right. I have no problem with it. That's one of the reasons I like to keep single topic episodes so that you are able to skip and not miss anything else important. But the Twitter bombing thing is what sparked my thought here with this. Because I guess the label that fits me best for this is I am an innocent accomplice to Twitter bombing. That seems like an oxymoron, I know. I was a guest on a podcast that will remain unnamed, and I will not call out the host of the podcast right now because I really can't tell whether the podcast host chose to do this on their own or whether they're just going off the advice of someone else, the bad advice of someone else. So I really don't think it'd be appropriate for me to call out that person by name because they could be just as innocent as I am in this. But I was on their podcast and they published the episode and I discovered their Twitter bombing the episode. My phone was going crazy with tweets from this person that included my Twitter handle in the name and direct links to the episodes, hashtags in the post that they were sharing on Twitter. And they were tweeting every few minutes, a different message each time. So that way it wasn't hitting Twitter's own protections against Twitter bombing. But they were using an app called Tweet Adder. And I wasn't seeing this on the desktop side because I use TweetBot and I mute any tweets that come from Tweet Adder. 
because most likely those are going to be repeated things, overly scheduled things. I just don't want to see those. So I've, I've muted those and I wasn't seeing them on the desktop side, but my mobile device was showing them quite often. And I could tell I'm being Twitter bombed here. And it, it felt dirty to me. And it, keep in mind here, I cannot, in good faith, I cannot blame the person who's doing this because, like I said, they may be doing this because someone else told them they should. I know that in some cases, uh, the people I've seen do this are claiming this is part of their success. And they're saying, I've had huge success because of this. That's where I do start to say, uh, you're a bit more responsible for this than just going off the advice of someone else if you are claiming this as your success. And such was the case for uh, someone that I've seen, Twitter bomb, someone I've had interactions with. And now, knowing more about Twitter bombing and what actually happens, I really have to question their success. Are you actually having the success you're claiming that you have if you're using this technique of Twitter bombing? And being that this was an episode I was in, and now I see that episode going out as Twitter bomb, spam, I feel, honestly, I feel a little bit defrauded in a way. I feel cheated, or I feel slightly ashamed of being in a podcast that's using this bad marketing technique or this bad unethical promotion technique to try to build an audience. And really, it's just artificially inflating the numbers. Can you share your podcast to Twitter? Yes, definitely do. Share your latest episodes. Share your old episodes that still have timeless content. I do that, and I see people click through. There's nothing wrong whatsoever with promoting your content on social networks. And do that. That is good. But what is wrong is when you're promoting the same thing every few minutes over and over and over and over and over again, and you're just posting different messages and such. And here's what I want to do. I'm, I want to read to you the intro paragraph to Brian Orr's article uh, where he said, Twitter bombing worked to stoke my ego. And I have a link to this, brianorr.com. And he has his own podcast over there as well that I highly recommend that you check out. But Brian said, sometime last fall in an undisclosed location, I learned a secret. This secret was couched as a strategy to grow my audience using Twitter. The primary tenet of this strategy was to share direct download links on Twitter instead of the link to your site page. I immediately started calling it Twitter scam. Because to me, it was clear that many people would click the link not expecting to hear audio play, and boom, they would get an audio assault. Over time, I saw more and more reputable podcasters using this tactic, and curiosity got the best of me. Was it possible that the decreased effort required of clicking the mouse two times versus only one time was the reason why this strategy produced such amazing engagement? And Brian's article is great where he experimented with this and he brings it down really to great four points here of what really makes for Twitter bombing. And he said, number one, share direct download links to your media file. That is number two, hashtag like crazy. Look for what's the most popular, loosely relevant hashtags and pack your tweet full of these. Number three, create a bunch of accounts to post from. 
that's one that not everyone will have the time to try and do. Many people will, and I see that sometimes in Twitter searches. And number four, combine the previous three together and post the links a lot and over and over and over. So Brian had this great article. I highly recommend you check it out, read it. And you also should check out two other places where podcasters have talked about this article. Rob Walsh and Elsie Escobar talked about this in an episode of The Feed. I have a link to that in the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash ethics. And Dave Jackson has talked about Twitter bombing before and talked about this in a recent episode of The School of Podcasting. And in fact, he had Brian on as a guest, and they had a great conversation about this, where Brian experimented with this and shared the truth behind it and some of the feelings behind this. So definitely check those things out. I have the links to these in the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash ethics. How you're promoting your content is a really important area for ethics. What I'm wondering now that I'll see because this particular episode that is being Twitter bombed where I was a guest in this episode contains a call to action that I gave where I say go to this particular address for a free download. Well now I can see how many people actually visit that address for that free download. Now knowing that this podcast is using the Twitter bombing technique my expectations for the performance I'll get is now suddenly extremely low. I would be, honestly, I would be surprised if I get 10 or 20 people to go through this download link, even just to visit the link. And I expect even fewer people, maybe 50% of the people to actually sign up for my email list and download that link. And I'm not going to tell you what that URL is because I want to skew any of the metrics or measuring there. So I really want to see what happens with that. And Rob Walsh has shared some things because he has access to stats that people are using and claiming. And he said that what you'll often see is the top user agents are browsers or are these mobile devices where it's clear that someone just clicked on the link not knowing what was going to happen and downloaded. And these things are artificially inflating the stats. When Brian Orr tested this, he shows his stats and he shows overnight an instant skyrocket in his stats sustained during this test that he did of Twitter bombing. And then as soon as he stopped the Twitter bombing, there was some residual effect, yes, that then everything died out and he was back to normal after that. No increase, long-term increase in his audience. Look at this from a different perspective. Instead of thinking about the ethical or unethical promotion techniques, when you get featured, this kind of thing kind of happens, but it does happen a lot more ethically and a little bit more organically. And I'm going through this right now, and I keep wanting to talk about this on the Audacity to Podcast, but I don't have enough research yet because the momentum is not stopping. And what's happening is on Stitcher, they have this thing where they'll feature headlines And it's a short snippet of content from podcast episodes. So a few episodes of the Audacity to Podcast have been featured over there, and they'll give a four-minute snippet. Now, there is a link that someone can click through to listen to the full episode through Stitcher, 
And this has been happening for the Audacity to Podcast, Beyond the To-Do List, and The Productive Woman. These three podcasts are on my network, Noodle Mix Network. So I'm getting to see the Stitcher results from this. And I was blown away at the success, the initial success of this. 50,000 downloads for one of my episodes of the Audacity to Podcast. 50,000 downloads from Stitcher. And this is Twitter bombing aside. I know not to assume anything about that number, 50,000, because that could be 50,000 people who just checked out that headline and clicked skip. Maybe didn't even hear me finish a sentence, but because of the way that Stitcher counts its stats and the way that they ping their stats back over to Libsyn and Blueberry and your media host, it might still show up as a download then. So it's not quite a trustworthy number. That's where I like to go into the Stitcher actual stats that they provide and look at how many completed listeners were there and what's the residual effect of this. And I am seeing an increase in this where people are subscribing more through iTunes after being featured on Stitcher. And as the the peak dies down, from this huge spike of being featured, then a couple days later, I look at those numbers a couple days later to see how have those numbers changed. And in a way, I kind of wish Stitcher wouldn't feature me for a week. Maybe they won't this week, but I kind of wish they wouldn't feature me for a week so I could see two weeks of data, two weeks after being featured, what actually happens near the end of those two weeks. What are the long-term effects from this? And this ties in as well with New and Noteworthy in iTunes, where you get featured, and yes, you have this huge spike of downloads, but what is the actual long-term result from that? New and Noteworthy isn't as influential now for building an audience as it used to be, because there are a lot of podcasts that make it into New and Noteworthy. In fact, every podcast makes it into New and Noteworthy somewhere in New and Noteworthy. Some podcasts make it to the front page and the top 10 or so of New and Noteworthy. But you really need to look at the residual effects. Look at after you've been featured, a week after you've been featured, what are your long-term numbers looking like? And on the Stitcher side of things, I am seeing what looks like an increase. There's not enough information for me to really say for sure yet, but I keep trying to monitor this, but they keep featuring me. (laughs) I know, it's a good problem to have, I know. But it is making some effect. Now that, that's 50,000 downloads from Stitcher. And believe me, my audience is not anywhere near, you know, my downloads, my actual average downloads for the Audacity to Podcast are closer to 2,000 or 2,500. That's my average downloads looking at either Libsyn or Blueberry per episode, 2,500 or so downloads. So 50,000 is huge to me. But that doesn't actually mean my audience is 50,000 people. In fact, it means it's not 50,000 people because of the nature of the system. Where this can really hurt podcasting when you're using unethical promotion techniques is when you go to a sponsor. And like if I went to a sponsor right now with being featured in Stitcher, or even if I'm just new and noteworthy in iTunes and I'm getting a few extra hundred or a few extra thousand downloads per episode. I say, hey, look, I'm getting 50,000 downloads per episode. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm only going to charge you a small rate 
from my CPM that you pay based on how many thousand downloads I receive. So let's just do, we'll say $20 CPM. So $20 per thousand downloads. And if I'm getting 50,000 downloads per episode, that comes out to be $1,000 per episode that I would charge them. Four episodes in a month, that's $4,000 in a month of podcast episodes. Yeah, that sounds like great money. But look at it from the sponsor side. They're paying, expecting they're getting 50,000 impressions. Most of those 50,000 impressions that came through Stitcher were only a short snippet of my episode. And yes, I've given Stitcher permission to do that. That's part of what their terms of service cover. Yes, there's things that some podcasters are really afraid of, the terms of service and what permission you're giving to Stitcher. But I'd much rather let Stitcher go ahead and stitch my content together in a way and feature it than to not be on Stitcher at all. Because this is helping to build my platform. It's getting my name and my content out there in legitimate ways. And it is having some lasting effects. So I'm fine with Stitcher doing that. I've given them permission to do that by being part of that platform and signing those terms of service. But where this can hurt with the sponsor is the sponsor thinks they're paying for 50,000 downloads. But in the case of Stitcher, for example, or if you're Twitter bombing and you're getting 10,000 downloads per episode or something as a result of Twitter bombing, the Twitter bombing is most likely picked up by bots or people who click not knowing it's audio. And on the Stitcher side of things, it's people hearing a short snippet of the audio that most likely doesn't include the sponsorship spot. So that means 50,000 impressions are going nowhere. The sponsor might actually be getting only 1,000 impressions or 2,000 impressions at most. In the case of like the Audacity podcast, I would suspect that at most probably 2,000 impressions if they were to sponsor, if I were to accept a sponsor for this show. So if I go to a sponsor with saying I have 50,000 downloads, and I only actually have 2,000 legitimate human listeners consuming my content, they're paying for 50,000. They're only getting 2,000 impressions, human impressions, which then boils down to maybe only a couple hundred actions. So they've paid thousands of dollars for only dozens or maybe a couple hundred actions. They'll see that see the stats that I'm claiming and think, man, this podcasting thing doesn't work. Sponsoring podcasts? No, it's a failure. Dead end. Let's never do this again. And thus, that sponsor who could be excellent in the podcasting space and have great success was damaged by that podcaster who used bad, unethical promotion techniques to inflate their numbers and then the sponsor doesn't want to come back at all because of that result. And this is how this unethical promotion technique hurts podcasting as a whole. In fact, after I listened to Dave Jackson's conversation with Brian Orr and especially Rob Walsh's conversation with Elsie Escobar in the feed and how they were talking about Twitter bombing and the effects on sponsors and such, it has me thinking maybe I should go in and ignore certain user agents and certain platforms on my own downloads and give just the podcast app numbers 
yes, that would mean a much lower number to a potential sponsor, but I can tell them these numbers are people who are listening to the podcast on a consistent basis because they're using a podcast app. So that tells me they're most likely subscribed to the podcast if they're using the podcast app. So your return on your investment on this smaller number will be much better than if I charged you for the big number and you saw a small number. I would rather under-promise and over-deliver. And I'll talk about promises in just a moment. So I know I'm spending a lot of time here and I'm kind of rambling on and that's because of the nature of this. I told you it would be different. Check out those links that I mentioned in the show notes and consider how ethical your promotion is. There are many different ways that you could take this as well. Promoting your podcast in places where you shouldn't be promoting it. For example, going in communities, online forums and such that are focused on how to podcast, podcasting techniques and such and going in there and then promoting your latest episode. For example, if I went onto the Google Plus podcasters community, there are several thousand members there. That's great. If I went in there and posted a link to my latest episode of my clean comedy podcast, who cares? It's not for them, most likely. Yeah, I might pick up one or two listeners and then offend several thousand more people because of that unethical promotion. I see this on Reddit a lot. The Reddit podcasts and podcasting subreddits are not moderated very well. So there are a lot of people posting their latest episode, even though there's a section specifically set aside to publish your latest episode. This doesn't mean you shouldn't promote your latest episodes in appropriate communities. I would even say that In certain communities that are focused on podcasting, people like Dave Jackson, Cliff Ravenscraft, Ray Ortega, Paul Culligan, myself, and others who create content for podcasting should be allowed to promote our latest episodes in there. Or I wouldn't say every single latest episode, but the special ones, the important ones, because most likely the people in those communities who would be interested in our content already are listening to the content. So I think it would only be appropriate to highlight our special content in those different communities. And in some of those communities where I'm a moderator, I am given that freedom. And so are Dave, Ray, and Cliff and such. We're given that freedom because they know we're not going to promote every single episode we release. So look at how ethically you are promoting your content. Also look at how ethically you are promoting things in your content. Are you promoting something just because you're going to get paid for it? Are you promoting something just because it serves your needs? Or are you promoting it in a way that's completely irrelevant to your audience? I think this is a really big, and this is why I spent so much time on this. This is practically a whole episode by itself. So much time on this. Promotion is a big thing in podcasting. Yes, you need promotion. That's why I include it in now in the four cornerstones of a great podcast, your content, presentation, production, and promotion. You can have a great product, but if you're not promoting it, no one's going to consume it. So you need to have promotion to grow your podcast, but it needs to be ethical promotion. What am I going to do about this Twitter bombing? I will first directly contact the podcast host and start a dialogue with this. I'm not going to come out saying, you shouldn't do this, you're a bad marketer. But I'm going to calmly go to them and say, do you realize 
what this is actually doing. Can we talk about this? I'd love to get on the phone and talk about this a little bit more because in a way this is affecting my brand, but I think really it's affecting your perception of your own audience and you're going to be disappointed with your results if you believe these numbers that you're seeing right now because of these unethical promotion techniques that maybe you bought into that someone else told you you should do. Check these things out for yourself. There's a scripture verse about this, Acts 17, 11, that basically says that don't believe just everything every preacher of the gospel or of the Bible says, but search the scriptures daily to see whether these things are true for yourself. Yeah, that's a Christian aspect there, but the same thing should apply here is when you hear a marketing technique, check it yourself. So that's the big thing in podcasting ethics promotion. Second thing, this is kind of big too, is profit. Monetization can be a touchy subject in the podcasting space. When podcasting first started, some people really did not like the idea of monetizing podcasts. And they told people, you were selling out to the man, you're you're just trying to make money off of this now. There was this perception that podcasting is pirate radio and it should always be free, free content. This was around the same time that BitTorrent was getting really popular and people were downloading everything for free illegally from the internet, downloading music and movies and eBooks and programs and all of this stuff. So there was very much this idea that everything should be free if it's on the internet and you shouldn't try to monetize your content. You shouldn't try to make money from your content. I strongly disagree with that. In fact, there's a, okay, I'm getting biblical here, but there's a proverb in the Bible that says a man or a laborer is worthy of their hire. This comes into play in so many areas where if you're producing content, that content is worth something. If you're providing a service, that service is worth something. It's not just worth your time to do that thing. It's worth how much time it took you to learn to do that thing. It's worth how much time it's saving someone else from doing that thing. For example, I have a flat rate RSS repair service that I offer to podcasters, especially WordPress users, where for a flat rate, I will fix your RSS feed, optimize it. And there are certain other things too. I don't just fix the problem. I check other things, give you some advice on certain things. Sometimes that only takes me 15 minutes to do, depending on how broken the feed is. Sometimes it can be something I can automate because of tools I've created, I've spent time, so I know exactly what to look for in certain cases. And that might be something that would take someone else hours just to figure out what to look for, and then hours more to figure out how to quickly fix this, or maybe days to go through their entire RSS feed and fix all of this. That's something that, because of the many hours I've spent, I'm able to do it much more quickly. So I'm saving that person days, potentially. So to them, it's worth days. To me, it's worth all of the time I've spent to learn this, refine this, and continue to try and refine and learn new things. Other people, I've run into some RSS feeds where it has taken me days to fix it because of some strange problems or issues, and it was the same flat rate. For one other person recently, they paid me this flat rate fee. They were on the fence a little bit with it, and I was telling them, yeah, here's what I'm going to fix, and I can promise that it will work after this. I can't promise that it will never break again because you have the power to potentially break it as well, but I will definitely fix it. So 
from here on out, it will be fixed and I'll let you know what I needed to fix so you can try to avoid breaking it in the future. They paid me for this. I got into their RSS feed. Nothing was wrong. They'd actually fixed the problem on their own and didn't realize it. So I emailed them back and said, you know what? I got in your feed. I spent about 45 minutes looking around. I couldn't find anything wrong with it. So guess what? Here's a refund. That, I'm not saying that to praise myself. I'm saying that because that's an example I know and an example that I can share that I, because I, I can't think of any other examples of something like that. But how you monetize your podcast should be done in an ethical way, how you try to profit. There is no hard guideline on how much you should charge for your products and services. Yes, there are general advices on certain things, but a product from one person may be worth much more than a product from a different person, even if it's the exact same product. Like, just consider if someone else had painted the Mona Lisa, would it be worth as much? Probably not. But because Da Vinci painted it, oh, it's worth a lot more because it's a Da Vinci painting. So there is value assigned to things in many different ways, but we need to be ethical in how we monetize things. For example, affiliate links. Do you promote something just because you're going to make money from it? I would call that unethical. I promote things that commonly have affiliate links. But I don't only promote things that have affiliate links, and I don't only promote something because it has an affiliate link. I do, whenever I'm going to promote something, I do try to find an affiliate link for it because this is my business. This is how I make money for my business and pay the business expenses, which are rising. And 2014, business expenses were out of control. I'm trying to control that in 2015. But This is how I make money. This is how I'm able to provide for my family. So I do try to find affiliate links for things. But just today I had something where I discovered the best solution for someone was a program, Audio Hijack 3. And I looked around just in a few minutes to see, is there an affiliate program for this that I can use? I couldn't find an affiliate program. Eh, No problem. Here's a direct link to it. Yes, I use affiliate programs when I can, but if something that doesn't have an affiliate program is going to be a better option for you, I'm going to select and recommend that better option for you than something that just pays me. That's what we need to try to do in podcasting when we're using affiliate programs and also to disclose when you're going to make money from these things to say, this is my affiliate link or this is my affiliate promo code. Like every time that I mentioned my promo code for Libsyn or Blueberry, which if you use the promo code Noodle, you get a month free on both services and the special features of each are slightly different. But I try to tell people this is my affiliate promo code, just putting in there that yes, I do make money if you use this and it does support what I do here with the podcast. There are many other ways of approaching ethics in your podcast profit. Like, are you going to recommend... A particular affiliate link because they give you more when the same product is available somewhere else. For example, Amazon.com versus B&H. B&H can offer some really cool incentives to affiliates because they're a smaller company and they have a more niche audience. So there are certain things that they can do for some affiliates. It might be something like sending review products to test for a little while, maybe to keep 
It could be certain bonuses and such. But when it comes down to it for me, I've decided most people, most of my audience is more interested in purchasing from Amazon.com. It's simpler for many people. They already have accounts there. They might have Amazon Prime, so it's really fast shipping. It's free shipping. Maybe they live really close to an Amazon warehouse. Maybe they have Amazon gift cards. All kinds of reasons there. So I've decided that even though there are other affiliate programs out there that might offer extra incentives, I would rather provide what is more convenient to my audience, and that would be Amazon.com affiliate links. Now, in the long term, that's actually ending up paying me more because more and more people are using those affiliate links. And due to the way that Amazon works, the more people who use your affiliate links, the higher your payout percentage gets. But that's something that built over time after making that decision of what seemed the most ethical for me to promote. Obviously, you wouldn't want to try and make money off of, I say obviously, but to some people it's not obvious. You wouldn't want to try making money off of something you don't truly believe in or you can't fully support. There are certain products and services that I've had the opportunity to promote, but I didn't because I I, I didn't believe in them fully. Or certain products and services that, yes, I have affiliate relationships with them, but I don't promote those affiliates unless someone actually wants to sign up for the service or get that product because it's not something I can fully endorse. But if you want to try it for yourself, go ahead. That's your decision. You probably decided that already. And if you're asking for an affiliate link, I really appreciate that. If you're using an affiliate link that I've put out there, I appreciate that too. It's like Dave Jackson, who has frequently criticized Blog Talk Radio in the past has an affiliate relationship with them. And he's actually made money from that in his blog posts where he has criticized Blog Talk Radio. Another aspect of profit that I think involves some ethics are these ideas of income reports. There are many different approaches to income reports and many different ideas on it. Is it something that's ethical? It depends, really, on the situation and what you're trying to do. If you're showing off your income to say, learn how to make massive income like I'm making, that's when I think it's a little unethical to do. If you're showing your income so as to illustrate the kind of success you're having or not having with the techniques you're trying, I think that is ethical. Like here, I will name someone here, Pat Flynn, smartpassiveincome.com. He talks about making what we call passive income, where you're not trading hours for dollars, but where you're, you might be making money in your sleep. You've created a product that then starts selling itself and makes money while you're off on a vacation somewhere, or just working on your next product or something like that. And you're not just getting a paycheck based on how many hours you work. I think Pat Flynn's posts, when he publishes his income reports, Yes, they can be a little bit discouraging because it's like, wow, you made that much money from that particular affiliate program or that particular endeavor. Wow, that's unfair or whatever you want to call it. But Pat doesn't just stop with showing his income and bragging about it. No, Pat explains certain things and he says, 
this is what I think worked about this. This is what I think didn't work. Like there was a month when his Bluehost affiliate income skyrocketed over the last month and he looked into it and it was because of decisions that Bluehost made in how they redesigned their front page to try to optimize their conversion ratio and they had great success with it and that success spilled over into Pat's income as well. There are things that I've done too where I'm looking forward to maybe sharing certain, not like a complete income report, but more like a success report to say, here's something I tried, here's how it succeeded or didn't succeed. Like with the recent episode that Brian from ProfitCast and I co-hosted together, I mentioned in there that December 2014 was my largest income month from Amazon.com affiliate sales. But I also explained some of the reasons why I thought that was, certain things that might have affected that. And some of the lessons I learned from that, things I wish I had done differently. That's one of the ways that you can provide value while you're showing certain things like your profit or income reports. If you're just showing the income reports to brag or to say, hire me because I'm making this much money. No, I don't think that that's a good thing. I could show you my podcast stats for the Audacity podcast And you would not be impressed. I told you earlier, 2,000 to 2,500 downloads per episode. That's basically the average. I don't really pay too much attention to the exact numbers. I'm more looking at the general direction. Is it growing? What episodes in particular spike and get more uh, audience for that particular episode? And where is that audience coming from? And what are the residual effects? The actual numbers themselves don't matter as much to me. It's what those numbers mean or what is affected by those numbers that matter more. So if I'm telling you how to grow a really successful podcast and I say, look, I've got 2000 downloads per episode, hire me to help you learn how to generate an audience of hundreds of thousands, huh? It just doesn't work. But there are many factors in that that you might not consider. Like with the audacity to podcast, the audience is podcasters. You are a podcaster or you're interested in the podcasting industry or you just really like my voice, maybe, or the way that I approach content. So you consume this content. You are my target audience, not the massive world out there. So because I've chosen this niche for this podcast, it's a smaller audience. So for me to show my success with the numbers for this podcast and try and use that as a selling point to say, hire me to help you learn to grow your podcast. Yes, I can show direction and results from things and monetization methods. But to show profit in those ways and brag with my numbers, I would call unethical. So that is how you're being ethical with your profit. Next would be with your promises. What are you promising your audience through your podcast or through your marketing, through whatever thing that you're doing to promote your podcast or even just the podcast that you're creating? Are you telling people, download this episode where I talk about so-and-so and and then the only thing that you actually talk about with so-and-so is that you mention them in passing? Like I'm not going to post tweets for this episode and say, Here where I talk all about Dave Jackson's interview with Brian Orr. No, because I don't really talk about Dave Jackson in this episode. I mentioned him, but I don't talk all about him. 
So if I'm telling you, listen to this where I talk all about him, that's a promise and I'm not meeting it in the content. One of the difficult things with promises, though, is that sometimes people think you're making a promise that you're not making, or they have basically expectations, how they think you should be doing something, or how they think you should be charging for something, or how they think you should be communicating in some way. And it's, it's a thing that you can't always control. For someone to expect something from you, not meet their expectations, and then for them to be disappointed, that's not really your fault if you have not promised that to them. Like, I don't promise that I will answer every single email that's sent to me. That's, I try to. I try to read every single email and try to, when it's necessary, to reply to every single email, but it's not something I can promise. So I don't make that promise. Yeah, email me and I'll send you back a reply that will answer all your questions. Now, I do ask for your emails. Some of them I file away for podcast topic ideas. Some of them I can reply to. Some of them I do both. I reply to them and I file it away for a podcast topic. But I'm not promising to answer every email. I have struggled with this many times in the past, and you might be listening to this thinking, Daniel, you've made promises in the past that you haven't kept. And you know what? I know that. And that still hangs over my head certain promises that I've made in the past about things that I have not kept. I will tell you right now, one of my failures, a while back, I think when I was first trying to start my email list, I said, sign up for my email list and you'll get this free ebook that will tell you about how I overnight literally octupled my podcast subscriptions. I never completed that ebook. And that hangs over my head. So what I have done, I'm cautious in saying this because I feel like I'm making a promise to even just tell you this, but what I have done is in the last couple months, I've spent time rewriting that and making sure this is something valuable. And I've lost some subscribers who have said, hey, Daniel promised this thing when I subscribed. I never got it, so I'm unsubscribing. I've got a list of all of those people who have made that comment and the list of people who I think signed up back then originally expecting that download. And when I finish this, I will contact those people directly and say, here's the download. I promised this. I didn't fulfill that promise back when you thought I would and back when I implied that I would. I'm very sorry for that. Here's the download. You are not resubscribed to my email list. You're welcome to resubscribe if you want, but I won't expect it. I want to make sure I fulfill my promise. I ran into the same thing with SEO for podcasters where I announced a a launch date, January 6th, and it became clear to me I was not going to hit that deadline because originally as I was starting the production of SEO for podcasters and the recording and writing the notes and everything for it, I thought, yeah, this is about three hours of content maybe i started getting into it and i thought oh this is more like three to four hours or maybe five and then i was actually recording everything and realizing wow this is eight hours of content and i was not going to make it before that deadline so what i decided to do instead of pushing that launch date back and not delivering i was progressively delivering the content to the people who were expecting something on January 6th. And I told them, I, I don't have it all finished. 
but I definitely want you to start getting some of the content when you expect it to start receiving it. And even to this date, the last two sessions aren't finished production yet, but they will be very soon. But I'm delivering these as I can to the audience who is purchasing it. And then by the time this is finished, it will be a complete project and or a product. And I have learned some really important lessons from this about producing products and announcing and pre-orders and launch dates and such and some things that some mistakes I made that I'll try not to repeat some lessons I learned from this that have been beneficial. But be careful with the promises that you're making and make sure that you are meeting those promises that you make. And if you can't, you better be ready to do some serious apologizing. So promotion, profit, promises, number four, pride. This is easy in podcasting where we can feel like we're a celebrity of some sort in podcasting. And this is something where in my first few episodes of the Audacity to Podcast, when I've listened to some of them, especially my episode on stats, my first episode on stats, I listened to a brief snippet of that a few months ago. And oh, I felt Oh, so ashamed of myself of how I was talking back then, because in that episode, I was basically saying, I'm the only source of truth. This is going to be the only true explanation for your podcast stats. And basically what I was implying is no one else is telling you the truth or no one else understands this. And I want to look back at that and I think, oh, how arrogant I was, how prideful I sounded. That was horrible. And I'm ashamed of that. And I'm looking forward to when I have the opportunity to redo that content in an an updated way and in a much more ethical way as well. But this can happen in podcasting where we think we're celebrities, where we think we have big camaraderie with other celebrities, where I might say, yeah, my really good friends, Rhett and Link. Well, no, not my really good friends, Rhett and Link. I have had no direct communication with Rhett and Link, the YouTubers. I have emailed them asking to have some direct communication. And that doesn't mean that it's a great relationship or if someone replies to you. So be careful with your pride in your podcast, how much you are treating yourself as the ultimate authority or how much ego you're letting come through in your podcast. And even in this episode, I I feel bad about how many examples I've given from myself. And that's not to boost myself. It's just those are the examples I know. Because of the nature of this episode, like I told you in the opening, it, it was very much a last minute episode. And that's probably showing in my communication of this episode. It's a very, I think, heartfelt, more personal episode. And you might really appreciate it this time. I'd love to hear from you if you appreciated the nature of this presentation. But I didn't have the time to go find a bunch of examples of other podcasters in certain circumstances. I had my own experience. I'm sharing that with you. And this is not to inflate myself, to boost myself or anything. Maybe some of these things will make you want to hire me. That's fine. But that's not my goal here in citing some of these personal examples. So be careful with your pride in your podcast, it can be really easy to feel like you are something special, especially if you are Twitter bombing and you see numbers like 50,000 downloads. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm a celebrity. Yeah. I got 50,000 downloads per episode. Oh yeah. Here I come podcast award. (laughs) No, because 
those none of those 50,000 bots are going to vote for you in the podcast awards. None of those 50,000 bots are going to subscribe to your email list, buy your product, your service, rate or review you in iTunes. Completely false. Don't get puffed up with pride in podcasting. It can be detrimental to your audience, to your brand if you focus too much on yourself and make podcasting all about you. Dave Jackson has talked about this recently and blogged about this, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. So these four areas of podcasting ethics are your promotion, your profit, your promises, and your pride. Be very careful with each of these things. Treat these things well And you can succeed really well. And again, your definition of success, I talk about this often, your definition is totally up to you to make yourself. Your definition may be 200 downloaders per episode. It may just be you want people coming back week after week. Your definition of success may be being proud of what you produce. And that's different from being prideful, I think, but being proud of you put something out there that you think was a good job and being happy with that, with the results and however you measure those results and whatever those results are for you. Do these things poorly, unethically, and you'll hurt your podcast and you could hurt the podcasting industry as a whole, especially if you're working with sponsors and doing any of these unethical things. One of the other things, and I talked about this recently in the New Media Show. I was in episode 75 of New Media Show. Check that out. I've got a link to it in the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash ethics. We talked a little bit about YouTube stats and podcasters posting fake videos on YouTube. And this is a pet peeve of mine. And I've seen this with my own network. We've tried some experiments with this. And we've seen huge views on videos But when we actually look at the legitimate views from it, like the audience retention, we see that, yes, the video says on the public page, 22,000 views, but within 90 seconds, most of those people are gone. 20,000 of those people gone within 90 seconds, actually more than that, 90 to 95% of that audience gone in the first 90 seconds and possibly offended and never coming back again. Because of, frankly, an, an, what I would call an unethical technique. Some people will say they have more success with it, yes. And you do get an audience that you might not have otherwise gotten. But even just talking head video, like I do now with the Audacity to Podcast, where I live stream it to YouTube and it goes into my YouTube channel at theaudacitytopodcast.com slash YouTube. That, I'm not doing that to expect a massive audience. I'm doing that as an experiment. I'm also watching the audience retention on that to see talking head video like I do with the Audacity to Podcast where I'm not showing anything gets maybe a sustained 10 or 15% of that viewership number that displays. Actual video where I'm showing you something gets more like a sustained 30 to 50%. There's always going to be a big drop-off in the first few seconds as people decide, no, this isn't for me. But I'm looking after that sustained number. How many people are watching the whole thing? 
This comes to your podcasting stats, how many people are actually listening to the episode, not just clicking play or clicking that link that you share on Twitter or Facebook or wherever else. How many people are actually becoming listeners? How many people are taking action on the things that you offer to them? I've been blown away by your incredible response before in things like the podcast awards. And by the way, podcast awards still open for nominations. Those nominations close on midnight, February 7th. That means technically your last opportunity is 11.59 p.m. February 6th. So there's a confusion sometimes about when midnight actually is. If you would like to nominate our podcast and support us in the podcast awards, please go to theaudacitypodcast.com slash podcast awards to check out how you can support us and nominate our different shows in the awards. And I've been blown away by how many times you've downloaded some of the, we can call them opt-ins or some of those bonuses that I've offered in different episodes and to see that more than 75% or somewhere around 75% of the number I see as downloading each episode of the Audacity podcast is signed up for my email newsletter where I provide extra content. It's not just a straight automatic post to RSS feed through email and that kind of thing. It is, I'm writing custom content there. Sometimes that content never makes it to the public on the website or in the podcast episodes. Sometimes it does. Sometimes I ask for content there. Like right now, I've asked the email subscribers for some content to contribute to a future episode, and I've gotten some great responses back from that. Sometimes I use the email list to promote a product or service I'm offering, like the launch of SEO for podcasters, but I'm blown away by your awesome response in signing up for that. And that is much more actionable. And I'd much rather have you subscribed and listening, even if it's just you, than 50, we'll say 500,000 fake downloads. Just a number that makes me feel better when I look inside my Libsyn or my Blueberry stats. That's meaningless to me. What does mean much more is seeing your connections to see your responses, to see how you're taking action on the calls to action that I give in the episodes. That's where I see how you value what I'm presenting you and the difference that I'm making. And I really, really appreciate that. So keep in mind these four areas of podcasting ethics, promotion, profit, promises, and pride. I'd love your comments on this. Go to theaudacitypodcast.com slash ethics and comment there on the show notes. As I said, this is a bit of a different flow of an episode. The edits are probably quite different for this as well, because this was a lot more free-flowing as I was sharing my thoughts on these things. And so I'd love to hear from you as well. Don't expect I'm going to switch to this format. No, not at all. But I would just like to hear from you what you thought of this approach to the content being a lot more free-flowing and what you thought of the content. Also, please comment there on the show notes at theaudacitypodcast.com slash ethics. I mentioned the podcast awards earlier. Remember that you can only submit nominations once. So pull together all of your nominations that you want to submit if you haven't already and submit those over at podcastawards.com. 
the Audacity to Podcast would be great in the technology category, but we also have podcasts that we want to put in for people's choice, best produced, general comedy, business, religion, inspiration, and entertainment. So check out all of those and see how you can support everything that we do at Noodle Mix Network by going to theaudacitytopodcast.com slash podcast awards. Thank you to Podcast Hero who reviewed me on Stitcher and said the Audacity Podcast has to be the most detailed-oriented show about podcasting. Thank you very much, Podcast Hero. And on iTunes, Alex Munsur from Brazil said the best podcast ever. Wow, I'm not sure I would agree with that, but thank you very much. I really appreciate the kind reviews and ratings in iTunes and Stitcher. They encourage me and they help other people find the podcast. If you'd like to write a review for me, I'd really appreciate it. Go to theaudacitypodcast.com and click on either iTunes or Stitcher there in the subscription links and write that review. And if you want to know how to get your own podcast reviews for your podcast sent to you from all over the world, doesn't matter what country in which they're left, go to mypodcastreviews.com. And if you'd like to write a review yourself for the Audacity to Podcast, the link is over at theaudacitypodcast.com, as well as contact information if you want to ask a question or suggest something that I cover in a future episode of the Audacity to Podcast. Now that I've given you some of the guts and taught you some of the tools, it's time for you to go launch or improve your own podcast for sharing your passions and finding success and doing it ethically. I'm Daniel J. Lewis from theaudacitytopodcast.com. Thank you for listening. The Audacity to Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. The Audacity to Podcast is also a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Find more at techpodcasts.com.